Hey, welcome back to another episode of State of the Art, the podcast that sits at the intersection of art and technology. I'm Gabe BC. You can always follow me at Gabe BC. I'm pretty much everything. Uh, you can find us at State of the Art on Twitter or Instagram. I hope you enjoyed that last week's episode with Winslow Porter. We talked about creating tree in virtual reality. This is uh, another virtual reality episode this week. Uh, with Estella Se, who does painting in VR. Um, before we get to that, though, I have an email here from Sarah L, who asks, Hey, Gabe, I'm a painter and photographer who's interested in getting into new media art. What programs should I learn? Uh, hi, Sarah. Thanks for your email. Uh, I would suggest, first of all, thinking about what kind of work you want to make. That would inform which kind of program you want to use. It's not really about programs. Like when I make a new work, I don't think, oh, I'm going to make this in this specific program. Uh, I think about what would be best for the story or the message that I'm trying to convey with my work. Like for a certain feeling, I might use a different kind of software, weirdly enough. But if you want to get started, um, Unity is a great way to get started for game engine or anything that's sort of interactive with 3D environments or for virtual or augmented reality. Um, there's a lot of tutorials online if you want to start following those. Um, you just do a search for like Unity tutorials on YouTube and you'll find a bunch of those. It's free too. Um, other than that, if you want to do some visual graphic stuff with you know a lot of video projection mapping and that sort of thing, Max MSP or Touch Designer are really great too. You can uh, download demos of those for free uh, and start ex exploring and experimenting in those two environments as well. Uh, so hopefully that helps you out. Uh, if not, send me another email. You can always email me at gabe at thestateoftheart.org with more questions or comments or concerns. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, let's start this to this week's episode. I said we have Estella Se. She's going to talk about painting in VR, what it's like to paint in front of a giant crowd where they can see you, but you can't see them. So Estella, uh, welcome to the podcast. What's up, Gabe? <laughs> how are you doing today? Uh, thanks for joining me. I, I want to start by uh, kind of getting into how you would summarize your work for someone who's never seen it before. Oh, uh, okay. So um, for people who don't know virtual reality or augmented reality, I kind of make artwork that doesn't exist in this world. <laughs> hmm. um, that requires putting on like a headset or some sort of device like an iPad or something to see the work that I create. Um, so what I do is create virtual work, um, artwork that uh, either can lay on into the existing reality or it can be a completely new world altogether. Oh, amazing. And do you have a background <laughs> in creating uh, virtual reality or how did you sort of discover this medium? Yeah. Um, back. Yeah, it's really funny. I think working in, in VR, um, no one really like majored in VR. Well, maybe now they have, but like no one really has like a degree in virtual reality or like has that much of an extensive background in VR. So usually we come from other other backgrounds um, that have brought us to this field. So for myself, I used to work in tech doing front end web design uh, and development. And I also have a background in um, visual development for animations. So I kind of found a way to like merge those two things. Um, and brought it into this innovation space of VR and AR, um, telling narrative stories and visual storytelling. <laughs> and what was it like to make that leap from web design to narrative storytelling in a 360 space? Uh, different. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. It's definitely different. And um, I think for myself, though, like I've, I've jumped around uh, different careers, uh, maybe two or three times now in my life. And it's always scary because you never really know what's going to happen, right? Like, especially in innovation, you just like, you just don't know. And all you have is just trusting your gut and kind of running with the passion that you have. Um, but I always think that it always leads to a very, very beautiful 
unexpected and fulfilling space. And was this transition in your life something that was um, instigated by a specific moment? Or did you just kind of see this technology and think, oh, wow, I need to start experimenting with that? Yeah, um, definitely the latter, uh, for sure. There's there's aspects of both. But like that, how did I say this? Like when I, when I first tried VR, the very first thing I tried was like a 360, I think it was like a Google Spotlight Stories experience. Hmm. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. This is a completely different way of storytelling because it's, it's, a, it's a full 360 immersed story and it's like a 2D flat style experience. And I, and I was like, that's so interesting and so intriguing. And this is going to completely change the way we experience stories. Um, and there's something that was so compelling about that. And what was and, the, what was the scene like? I mean, you started, was it, what, what year was it when you started painting in VR for the first time? 2016. I was researching in 2015 and then I started painting in 2016. Um, the, I, I had access to Tilbrush before it even came out. Um, and like, there were like two other artists at that time. Wow. <laughs> it was like Liz Edwards and Danny Bittman. And like, it was like, that was it. <laughs> and Tiltbrush is the, is a painting tool in virtual reality, right? For those who've never used it before. Yeah, correct. Correct. It's a Google Tilt Brush um, and it's available on the major headsets. <laughs> and you were you a painter before or is, have you only painted primarily in VR? Uh, no, I definitely painted traditional, uh, traditionally as well as digital. Um, part of training for animation is understanding how to paint traditionally, understanding light and color and form, um, and also then uh, painting it digitally to create beautiful animations and stories there. <laughs> and is there, what's the, some differences between painting traditionally and painting and virtually, I guess? Oh my God, you have an extra dimension. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's the major one, right? Yeah, it's definitely, okay, so how do, mm, it's more like sculpting with strokes. Uh, hmm. It's like sculpting with paint strokes I, I have no idea what that's like i mean i've tried tilt brush before but <laughs> yeah because imagine like okay because usually when you're working on 2d you like you splatter some paint onto a canvas and it just sits there so in the vr space you splatter paint except it's just it just sits in non-gravity space like it just stays there in space and you can walk around the stroke you can add to it so it's kind of more like sculpting with clay but instead of clay it's it's brush strokes um oh. and they and gravity doesn't matter which is really cool physics doesn't matter you can walk through your paintings you can walk into these strokes you can expand them and scale them and make them giant or really small um so that's the fun part about the world building part you can just you can make whatever you want in this space is it disorienting sometimes to be in this space with no gravity and no body um i think at the beginning Gaining, like for first few seconds maybe it's like whoa like what what who am i like you, i think there's a question existential question of like who am i <laughs> right <laughs> when you don't have a body um but yet you're able to make actions and and behave um but i think what's really interesting about being in the space is that you're just completely immersed like once you put the headset on once you're in tilt brush you just your mind just thinks that you're there um and as long as there's a ground, usually that's helpful for people that are just starting out. Um, I can kind of go about it now without having like a ground plane. I can kind of float around in in the abyss <laughs> um, and I, it doesn't bother me as much. 
Um, it actually helps me with my with my motion sickness. It, I I tend to have sensitivity to motion sickness, and it's actually helped me get better at it. Really, <laughs> that's the first time I've heard that. Where VR actually helps motion oh, really? sickness. Yeah, because sometimes like now, like when I'm in a car, if I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm getting like a little bit of car sickness, I close my eyes and I just tell myself it's just a tracking issue. (laughs) (laughs) And like it'll it'll, it'll, like balance itself out in a few minutes. (laughs) So it's just the tracking issue with reality. That's the the problem. That we're in. Yeah, exactly. What was the first piece that you created in Tilt Brush? Like when you're inside the space, like was was it an original painting? Uh, well, definitely. Okay, um, definitely like this, like a scribble, a doodle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the first time I tried it, I was at a conference um, with the Tilt Brush team. I, I just tried it there for the first time. It was at the Unity Vision Summit in 2016, um, and I only had like five minutes to play. And I think I drew a dragon, maybe. <laughs> hmm. um, but once I got my own headset, uh, I started definitely playing around with some doodles but what I was very intrigued with is like how do we use this tool um and this medium for like like pre-production and like like pre-visualization for storytelling for like film or animation so if you think about the traditional pipeline of of that kind of art making it's usually like there's a storyboard artist that draws out all the different angles of the different shots um, in a scene, like in a cafe or something. But what if, like, I just drew out the entire cafe, and then me as the camera, like my head, I can just sit in the spot where I think the camera should be, and then just draw like a rectangle. Like, this is a composition here. Let me move to the second shot. Like, here's another composition. Um, so I think like that was the first kind of iterations of of my thinking when I first started. Mm, that's fascinating. I, I, I think it makes total sense to storyboard or prototype in VR ahead of time. Mm. Like, it seems like that's a really powerful thing you can do with this technology. Yeah, it's much cheaper than than creating the full, like, hashed out rendered version later on in production. <laughs> it's like much cheaper to like, kind of like sketch that stuff out in VR. So this was you were kind of experimenting with it with the Tilt Brush team at first. And then, you know, now you work in front of conferences, in front of people at conferences, and uh, you do all sorts of events where you're painting live. What is that like? Yeah, um, uh, it's not at all nerve wracking because I don't see anybody. <laughs> I'm in VRs, I don't see them. Um, you and I are very different in that way. I would be like, what, how do people see me while I'm in this headset and I can't see them? It'd be very disturbing in a way. Oh yeah, I think I'm okay with it. It's I can I I'm okay with it. I actually don't I don't get nervous on stage. I don't really get nervous while performing. Um, it's really fun for me, and it's really fun to show people the potential of what this medium can do. Um, and not just the medium, but like I don't know, like the VR AR stuff right now is still so early days. It's like the giant cell phone phase, it's like the Zach Moore cell phone phase right now. This technology, right. <laughs> and so. For me to show something where it makes sense is like, here's what you can do with the art. That's where it clicks for people. They're like, oh, whoa, this completely changes the playing field. Because I think like with art, it's something that is so like people can see it, they can feel it, and they don't have to think about like, what is the technology behind this? It's so easily accessible that like, I'm really grateful that I have the chance to show people for the ver- for their very first time, like, what can this technology do? And like, what can this... Like, what are the implications and the potentials of this? Um, that's, just, that's the really fun part for me. It's sort of performative, though, too, right? Like, you become a character painting on stage yeah. in front of people. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm okay with that. It's I'm I'm still myself. Um, it's a little bit more of an exaggerated performance. Um, and it's okay. I, I like it. I like showing people the tools and I like showing them my artwork. And it's really, it's actually really humbling. Like for a lot of people whose first times it is, they're like, I've never seen this before. Like, and and the first VR experience is walking through my painting. That's nuts. Oh, I have a fun experience. I have a fun story to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at E3 last year and I was working with Red Bull and um, ESA and I was part of this VR confessional booth. Um, what is that? What's a VR confessional booth? Yeah, right. So just check this out. <laughs> so Red Bull hired me to create a virtual space that is like a safe space um, for inclusion and women and underserved voices. Um, so have you seen those like graffiti walls at the conferences before where people usually like write like you know write on the wall and it's like a whole community based sure um, yeah thing so this is more like a vr version of that so within tilt brush i created an environment that was like calm and inclusive and just felt comfortable and warm compared to like the rest of this e3 crazy gaming conference mm. um and people can go in there and they can answer some questions so it's like like, what is your superpower? Um, if your uh, if your video game heroine could give you advice, what would it be? Um, like, what are what does you know? What are some magical things that are happening in your life that you would like help to inspire others? It's like really cool, like prompts, and people can go in there, they can draw and write in it, super anonymous. Um, and so, what was really neat is like definitely this is a lot of people's first time going into VR and drawing and painting. Um, one of the people that went in there was Khalid. Hmm. And that was his wow. very first VR experience. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know what to say. And like I was I I wasn't there when he got there, but um he was in VR doing the piece while I was when I came back to the booth. And and when he came out, I was just kind of like, like, what's happening? And and I completely missed my chance to ask him for a photo. <laughs> <laughs> but he, but you he know. said it was his first VR experience and he thought it was so beautiful. And like that to me is just like yeah, so You humbling. get to be inside your work. It's kind of an amazing thing to step into someone else's work in that way. Yeah. And he wrote Khalid was here. So I have kind of his VR autograph. <laughs> <laughs> how does that how did the piece end up looking after everybody went through it? Was it just like tons and tons of writing on walls or I'm trying to get a visual picture of something like this? Yeah, um, I can definitely send you what that looks like. Um, it went after people hopped in. I usually went in and moved some some of the writings around so that it was a little bit more composed. Um, so at the end, it was a lot of writing, but like I was able to kind of piece it in a space where like what, as you walk around, you can see all the different writings that people left there. Hmm, it's really interesting. Like being yeah. inside of people's thoughts in a way. Yeah. And it, I think what's also really neat about it is that it's like a moment in time. Like it's a capture of a moment in time and of this collective feeling at that moment in time. There's something really special about that. And you wouldn't show that piece again, like you'd have to reconstruct it in a different place. So it's always site specific. Uh, yeah, I think so. But I have the save file with me, like, like that piece itself, I have it saved with all the all the writings in it. Do you ever go through or go back to some of these save files after you've created them to actually watch how you've created them or be able to step back into these pieces? Yeah, definitely. So um, uh there's like a playback feature to show like the process of how a piece is like how the piece was constructed and how it was painted kind of like stroke by stroke. Um, and it's, it's very interesting kind of going back to look at it and like, Oh, like, Hmm, like 
maybe if I move this piece around here, like maybe if I, instead of going down, if I, instead of painting it down that path, maybe if I did it this other way, like I wonder if that would be different. Um, it's kind of like going to a museum and looking at an art piece and thinking like, oh, how did, like how did Rembrandt paint this painting? Like I, I'm going to like kind of deconstruct his painting just by looking at it. I think the same thing can be done also in VR. Yeah, it would be um, amazing to see a time lapse of how Rembrandt actually put each stroke on a canvas, right? Like, it's cool that yeah. you have that ability in VR. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool to see the time lapse of it. <laughs> and you've actually recreated Rembrandt paintings in VR, right? Yes, I recreated the Night Watch um, <laughs> on behalf of the Netherlands, uh, the Embassy Netherlands of San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> and what's that? What is it like to recreate such a famous work of art? I mean, is that's that, a lot of pressure, I feel like, right? Yeah, it is a lot of pressure. And on behalf of a country, nonetheless, <laughs> um, uh, it was very, I was like, I felt so honored that they reached out to me to um, recreate the Rembrandt. Um, it was a huge undertaking. And I am still not done with it because doing these recreation paintings, um, the first step is getting it to a point where when you're standing in front of it, it looks like the 2D painting, like the traditional piece. But the trick is also, it's a virtual reality piece. Like it has to justify the use of the medium. So for me, where my vision comes into place is like, how do I extrude different parts of it so that some parts are sticking out, some parts are receding into the background? Like where do I create the depth? How do I create the scale? And like, how do I compose this piece so when you stand in this VR piece, um, it it feels like you're there, you know, right. like in real life with these characters. So with the Night Watch, there's at least 30 something <laughs> figures in the piece. Um, and the figures are blocking each other. So the people in the foreground are definitely blocking the people in the background. And I need to kind of interpret like, what, what does that person's body look like? I only see the head, like remember, I only painted the head. So what does the rest of the body look like? And I think to me, that's like the fun part as a designer. Like that's my voice that I'm putting into that space, space there. <laughs> right. You have to reinterpret Rembrandt's own ideas in a way. Which yeah. Can be, yeah. That could be pretty daunting, I, I imagine. It is very daunting. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope I don't like insult some art historian that really knows the Rembrandt stuff quite well. <laughs> have art historians commented on your work? Yeah, um, I spoke to a few um, curators, actually, in order to research the Rembrandt piece. And uh, they were very, very supportive. And they were, um, yeah, they kind of like pat me on the back of like my work that I did. <laughs> so that's always very, that's always very flattering. <laughs> do you do a bunch of research? Like, do you actually look into what Rembrandt was thinking when he's yeah. painting these pieces? Like, do you read personal letters or books to study? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I definitely researched like um, what was the purpose of what the painting was like. Why was why did they create this painting? Um, what was going on with their life at that time? What was happening in the country at that time? Just like just to get some context, because I think as artists, like we don't create in a vacuum. There's always there's always something happening. There's always some sort of meaning or uh, some sort of other factor that's involved with the with the art making. And so, you know, whether it's just a commission from the city or some whatever it may be like there's still some story there um and some symbolism and especially with Rembrandt like the reason his work is so important is that he at his time a lot of people were just doing pieces that were just like static portraits 
Um, but he actually told stories with his with his paintings. Like people were moving. There was a sense of movement in his pieces, um, and that's what lends itself really interestingly to VR because you can kind of create movement depending on which program you're using. You can rig them. You could actually make these characters move. Hmm. Um, and that's part of what I research is like understanding like, okay, like what was the significance of this piece? What was he trying to tell? And how do I best honor that in my recreation of this piece? And what, how do you make a decision about which elements should be animated in a piece or come to life in that way through motion? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't do too much uh, animation right now. Um, there are some pieces where I add some elements of animated um, textures uh, that's kind of built in within Tilt Brush. So that's like easy just as a stroke to this like add on. Um, in the Kiss, I had a few animated features in there. That's the Klimt um, Kiss? Yes. Mm-hmm. So when you start with the, like, let's take the Klimt as an example. Do you mm-hmm. storyboard that out? Like you obviously have a 2D reference image, but are you yeah. storyboarding in 3D? I just don't know how your mind works with this stuff. Like I'm trying to figure yeah. it out myself. Yeah. Um, let's see. I definitely sit down, I do the research and I think about like, Okay, then I hop into VR and I like, I look at the empty space. And I'm like, okay, what do I want to do with this space? It's like having a block of clay. Like, how do I start this? You know, like, or an empty canvas. Like, how do I start this? Um, and usually I have a reference image. So in VR, I can bring in reference images. So in this case with the Klimt, I brought in the Kiss um, as a flat image and I sketched out the composition. Um, and from there, I kind of, push back some features or pull forward some features. Like so the figures I kind of put in the middle. I put the hill kind of closer in the in the foreground, like making them be on a hill, and then push the background into the background. And from there I think about like compositionally, like what what feels right for this piece. So originally I was like, okay, I could paint this whole field of flowers like that they're sitting in and create this beautiful landscape that they're in. But then I'm like, wait, no, like this piece is about intimacy it's about a very very private moment like it's a square composition the top of it is almost at the top of the dude's head it's so tight and so just enclosed on just them it didn't make sense for me to have just an open world for a vr piece so compositionally i felt like it would be it would make a lot of sense when someone goes into my piece they are looking at a framed cube and they literally have to step into this cube to enter their space and their mm. world. So you've so created breaking... another structure that you're going inside within VR. Exactly. So you're breaking this, it's like entering a room because it's their room, it's their moment, this couple, the, them having this intimate scene. So you're stepping into their world and kind of like, you kind of feel like an intruder when you're in there. You're like, eh, I don't really belong here. Um, and that's that has to be designed. It's, it's kind of like architectural design or environmental design. Where you have to like create these moments of feelings of uh, in regard to the space. Yeah, it seems like intimacy is a big part of your work. Like just being face to face with a famous piece or a famous character from an artwork. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How Definitely. do people experience these pieces? Like I, I know you do these as live pieces, but you also obviously have recordings of them. And is there a mm-hmm. way that people can actually experience this? on their own or they, do they have to yeah. go to an event in some way? Uh, yeah. So some of them, I have them as event only depending on, you know, just kind of how exclusive some of these pieces are. The, the Rembrandt piece, I kind of travel around with the, the Netherlands whenever they kind of want me to like show up at different events. Um, so that one's pretty exclusive. <laughs> are you the VR um, <laughs> artist of the Netherlands? Is that what you're, you're saying? <laughs> 
embassy of the Netherlands of San Francisco. Yes, they kind of they hook me up and they bring me around. So it's kind of fun. Wow. <laughs> um, they're great. I, I love working with them. Uh, and the other pieces, they're available on um, Google Poly. It's a website. So you can view it on the web and kind of rotate and zoom in and look at the scale that way. If you like it there, you can also view it in your um, tilt brush. If you have tilt brush at home and you like something on Poly, it will show up in your tilt brush version um, when you hop into VR. So it'll be available there to like walk around. Do you think that accessibility with VR is an issue? And, and do you think there's like a solution for this issue? There's definitely an accessibility issue because um, it's about like who has access to the technology. And I think over time, that won't be as big of an issue, especially like now that the Oculus Quest is more readily available. And I think that one was like, that one broke all the records last year hmm. um, with sales. Um, and also, I think this transitions into augmented reality. So augmented reality is when you can view this virtual content digitally, like in your existing space. So we all technically have AR devices. Most of our phones are AR devices already. So then it becomes a game of like, okay, how do I get my pieces into AR where it makes sense? And like, what software do I use? And like, how do I, how do I publish this content? Um, it's kind of a, it's a little bit different from the VR space. AR space is a little bit different, but I think both of them over time will, there won't be as big of a divide. It'll be more blended for sure. And so you're creating an AR now as well? Yeah, I actually just started playing with Spark AR this week of like just doing the face filters. Um, <laughs> it's right. <kind> of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, do you think that's like different, you know, working in AR versus VR? Do you feel like there's something that's lost in actually seeing or maybe gained, I guess? Oh, huh. That's a good question. I treat them as two different mediums because it's like working with, like, are you working with a pen or are you working with paint? Hmm. They kind of do different things, right? Like the different mediums have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and it's just a matter of like, how are you using the tool for like the medium of what it actually can do, right? Um, there's some some things in AR you can do that you can't do in VR. And I think the, I, I'm always like a big proponent of like, why are you using this medium? Does it like whatever you're making? Does it justify the use of this medium? Because yeah, otherwise, why why spend all the time to create it? You know, and why this medium? And so, um, we could talk about the piece I did for the festival and the possible, where you and I both had pieces. Yeah, we right? met there. I remember. I think we like <laughs> met in a kitchen at one point. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were eating ramen. Yeah, <laughs> like, we was like hanging out, talking about snacks. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. For the installation piece that I did at the Festival of Impossible, it, it needed to warrant using augmented reality. So the difference with augmented versus virtual is that in VR, you don't see any of the real world. In augmented reality, you either you see some component of the real world. I think of it like as an opacity meter, right? So it's like when you have opacity of real world down to 0%, that's like VR. And everything from like... 1% up to like 100% is like real life AR type stuff. Um, and so for the piece that I did at the festival, I wanted half of the piece to exist in AR and half of the piece to exist in real life. Um, so as you walk through this piece, you uh, as you walk through this exhibit, you are walking through what feels like an art gallery exhibit. Um, and then you are confronted with kind of 
half of the pieces missing, like half of my face was constructed on the on the bust. And then there was a quote on the wall that was half finished. But then as you pull an iPad up, you see the other half, you see the half of this virtual phoenix, um, and a woman um, that is flying in this empty space, and you see the rest of the quote. So for me, like, that's the really fun part of using AR, because you're playing with reality the perceptions of reality that you didn't expect. And the physical sculpture becomes important then too, right? Whereas in VR, there's no way to fully integrate like a physical form into mm-hmm. a piece, right? Or maybe there isn't, I'm not unaware of it. Um, I mean, I, I haven't seen that yet. Maybe there's a, a VR there's, physical there's, sculpture that you could touch and manipulate in some way. But uh, there's always some fun like experiments with VR things where there's haptics. So like, let's say you're doing this like, uh, experience where you're walking around or something like that in the jungle and like you're supposed to move a leaf out of your way there's something like kind of like kind of vr theme park designs where like there'll be a leaf there and you'll feel it and like oh whoa like that's really <laughs> shocking and but that's like the fun part of kind of designing the space right now is that we don't really know what works and what doesn't it's all experimental right now right yeah that's pretty exciting is there something in particular that you wish you had as a vr artist that doesn't exist Wow. Yeah, I wish I could just like paint with my hands. There's a, there are a few like hand tracking type things, but they're just not quite there yet. I have tendonitis in my hand, so holding onto like controller sometimes kind of hurts my hands quite a bit. When you're when you're painting, are you doing it in your apartment? Or are you doing it like in cafes? I thought I read a, a tweet from you recently that was like, oh, I'm debating about bringing my headset to a cafe today. <laughs> like, yeah. I haven't fully committed to that yet because I'm always like, I'm like, oh, do I want to be that person? Um, Is that a person now? A person who uses VR at the Starbucks or something? In the Bay Area, <laughs> it's not uncommon. I was, <laughs> I think it's not unfounded, I would say. Um, I'm more afraid that like, I, I'm afraid of someone stealing my stuff. So it's not quite there yet with like <laughs> viewing the real world while I'm in VR. Yeah, that could be a problem, right? You're, you're Someone just comes in and plugs your laptop without you noticing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not really, you're in New York. You kind of get it. Like, uh, this is... Uh. In New York, we have people wearing the VR headsets, but they're not plugged into anything. It's just uh, <laughs> hanging out. Um, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> uh, what, what do you consider to be other, like, applications of VR that could be successful? Like, is there a, an educational use of all of this, too, yeah. besides an expressive use? Definitely education, medicine, for sure. Training is huge right now. Um, those are those are definitely very successful components right now. I'm very interested in education and like the implications of that. I've done I haven't done too much work in it, but I kind of dabbled and experimented a little bit. Um, I was brought to the um, Edu Cause Conference um, a few years ago, where I was asked to um, just show off Tilt Brush a bit. They didn't really have any prompts for me but I was like oh, I gotta make it more like I gotta make it like applicable for what this conference is about and so I started thinking about for myself if I had access to Tilt Brush as a kid who was in school and I had trouble learning something how could this medium help amplify my learning to be a little bit more successful um, and I started thinking about the subjects that I really suck at and one of them was biology <laughs> um, and I, I had trouble learning biology because when we talk about things on the cellular level, like I, I can't visualize and understand that. Like I'm such a tactile and visual learner that trying to understand cells is really difficult for me or just things beyond that on the nuclear level. I couldn't understand it. And so um, do you remember those homework sheets where we had to like color in and label 
like the anatomy of a cell. Sure. Yeah. Like a, almost like a paint by numbers or like a drawing book. In that yeah. Way. So that book. was like, yeah, exactly. So that was like a, a, an okay attempt that, that didn't help me at all. Like, it's just like, okay, so I'm just coloring this thing, but it's not really applying for me. But what if the homework was hop into Telbrush and draw a cell and draw the anatomy of a cell where it's accurate? Hmm. So once you're kind of challenged with that, it's like, oh, interesting. So I, I actually had called up one of my friends, my biologist friends. I was like, hey, like, like, where's, like, where's the nucleus? Like, where does this go? Like, what's the DNA? Like, where does the DNA go? And so she like, like gave me like the rough rundown real quick. And then I went into the conference and I painted this cell. I drew all the different parts of the anatomy of the cell, the mitochondria and whatnot, right? <laughs> right. And now you're becoming um, a biologist through tilt brush. No, that's all I remember now. <laughs> um, and then I drew the nucleus. And because scale doesn't matter, um, I drew some DNA strands, multiplied a whole bunch of them, made them really small, and put them as little kind of Easter eggs inside of the nucleus. And so um, then I had people walk around. And these are educators. And like a lot of teachers and stuff are walking through this. And so they're walking through it. They're like, oh, my God, this makes so much sense. Like, oh, yeah, like if, if someone were here to fill in the blank of like what what is the the wall of the cell or what is the nucleus which part is what then they like walked in and they're like oh my god you have little dna in here right <laughs> yes and so it was really cool like for me to even learn that and then also for the viewers to walk through the cell and create an actual like physical memory in their brain because that's what happens in vr you actually create these memories like there's a new fold in your brain that's being created because your body and your brain thinks that you're there so there's there's people that will remember that they walked through this cell before it's really interesting yeah it's you can definitely associate with that more than a 2d coloring book image right mm -hmm. the idea that you could actually see it in physical space makes a big difference for our memory Exactly. It kind of reminds me of this uh, Borges story about mapping the world, the idea that, you know, we start drawing this map of the world and eventually the map becomes so big that it becomes the world itself, you know, yeah. and I, in VR. I mean, I could see you starting at the cellular level and then maybe you can combine this with a bunch of different artists and end up mapping the universe. It would oh take, my God. take a little while, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Need some process of power for that one. <laughs> Are there, have you ever done collaborations before where you're drawing with someone else in VR? And how does that go? How do you negotiate space together at the same time? Yeah. So um, there haven't been too many successful um, like co-op uh, painting tools just yet. There's been, I think, was it an Oculus Medium? There was a thing where you can like... Uh, I forgot what it was called. You can like view your friend and they would be there too, but you won't be able to add to each other's painting. Or if you did, it wasn't technically like the same uh, sculpt rather. It wasn't like you're adding to their sculpt because once they exited, their piece would disappear and you would just have like like half of your piece. Oh no. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's disappointing. I, I, yeah, there haven't been too many like multiplayer um, painting things. I think there's one called Kingsbury, but I haven't tried that one yet. Is that something you're interested in, like collaboration in the VR space? Oh, yeah, for sure. Because it literally gets so lonely of just like being in my own little universe and just painting, painting my world. <laughs> What's the longest time you've spent in, in a headset? Oh, OK. I'm, I'm a lot healthier about it now. But when I first started, I think I was in it for about four hours and it would just fly by. Like I would not even recognize that four hours had gone by. Wow. Um and I was late to meetings and stuff. It was kind of like, oh, crap, like, I should have timers. 
So now my body is actually a lot better at it. It, it knows to get out around 45 or 50 minutes. Um, I get pretty exhausted. Yeah, it must affect your eyesight too. Imagine having those screens so close to your vision. Um, you know, I make sure everything's okay. I, I make sure when I go to my optometrist, I'm like, can you just like just triple check, make sure my eyes are okay. But those all have been checked out just fine. Um, so I think it's more like fatigue. So I make sure I have like eye drops. <laughs> right. They'll probably have optometrists for VR artists in the future. Gonna be a oh whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> you did a residency at the Cartoon Network. Can you tell us uh, how that went and how it came yeah. about? Yeah, definitely. Um, so that was 2017. Um, Ryan Harwell, he is the founder of the VR like, kind of experimental lab at Cartoon Network. Um, and he hit me up and said, like, hey, we're trying to form these cohorts of experimental VR storytelling teams. Would you like to be part of it? I'm like, oh, heck yeah, that sounds amazing. You know, because that's exactly what I was kind of going down the path of animation. So I'm like, oh, how do we tell stories with VR? Like, that's something that he wanted to investigate as well. Um, and so um, I think there was a team of there were three different teams. And I was the second team with um, three other team members. Um, so there was a storyboard artist, an art director, a game developer, and there was myself. And we had a little over one month to essentially do a hackathon, which is like you have a limited amount of time to like prototype and con conceptualize a prototype and just kind of do a proof of concept of whatever it is you come up with. Um, and we had a week to kind of create a story and a general idea of what we wanted to create, um, create all the assets the next week. And then the last two weeks is just piecing it all together, which is kind of crazy. We essentially created a game hmm. <laughs> in like a, in a month. Um, so that's available online, um, on steam. If you have uh, HTC Vive, I think it should be available there on steam called the cartoon network journeys VR. And there's three experiences there, and the one I worked on was Beyond Beeville. Beyond um, Beeville, like uh, like bees, as in the animal. Bee. Yeah, the insect. It's a story about a bee, a wing wing, one winged bee who can't fly, <laughs> and you have to kind of like solve these puzzles in order to like kind of save your town. <laughs> and so you created all the visuals for this game. Uh, not all the visuals. I helped with a lot of like the VR kind of pipeline creation. And um, I helped design the interior of the bee's home. Um, so in terms of like the back end, the, the stuff that I helped figure out was like, okay, how do we use Tiltbrush and Google Blocks to like in, in the part of the VR game creation pipeline? So something that I did, I remember is like I, I hop in the Tiltbrush as soon as I could. And I started sketching out like, okay, this is the shape of the bee's home where you start off. And then when you step outside the door, you're going to see like, this is what the environment looks like. And we're played a lot with scale because you're a tiny little bee. So like you're in a world with flowers are huge. Right. And so um, I remember sketching that out. We exported it into Unity um, just so that we could feel what that mechanic would feel like where you open the door and you can like look outside. Um, and it was trying to figure out like that pipeline of like, how do we use Tiltbrush for, for this pipeline? And then how do we bring it into Google blocks to like create low poly optimized assets? Hmm. So, so it's a bunch of different things coming together to create this final piece. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the reason we use blocks is because, um, you can create low poly kind of very 
um, simplify 3D models within VR. And that was like, that's such a cool thing, like making 3D objects in 3D without having to open Maya. You don't have to open like a 3D program, which takes you years to learn how to use. You can just hop into VR, put a cube down, add some vertices, change it into the shape that you need it to be, export that, bring it into Unity. Essentially, like you just create a game with uh, with those assets. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. It, to me, the idea of 3D sculpting, and then you can actually even make a 3D print out of this object later on, makes mm-hmm. total sense. Like sculpting mm-hmm. in a 2D slash 3D world on your like desktop computer oh seems very <laughs> difficult <laughs> to me. Yeah. <laughs> but if you could yeah. actually stand in a physical space and like cut away at some virtual clay, then print yeah. that out, you know, and actually have a physical sculpture. I mean, that that seems very intuitive. Yeah, it's a one-to-one ratio. Then you don't have to question like, oh, like what will the other side of this thing look like? And you just walk around. You just look at it from the other side. <laughs> so uh, did you do some research for the bee project? Like I mean, what do the inside of bees' houses look like? That kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> I did a little bit of that. Um, otherwise, it's more of a fantastical thing. It's, you know, a cartoon network. So we can kind of create it as, as we wanted. Um, so I remember doing a few sketches of it and then um, just made a lot of like honeycomb-shaped things. <laughs> But the scale makes a big difference, right? Just the mm-hmm. idea that you can kind of shrink or grow your own size dynamically is yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah, and something that um, because this was so early, this two thousand <laughs> so early two thousand seventeen. Oh, way VR back then, <laughs> way back two thousand seventeen. <laughs> way back in two thousand seventeen. But in innovation, it's a huge difference because things change every day. Like two thousand seventeen, it just seems like a a different era of this technology. Um, so at that point. People are still trying to figure out how to design, like what were the best practices for designing for VR experiences? And I remember something that I absolutely hated for all the like VR things I tried at that time was like, once you start an experience, you just plop into the thing. You're like in this vast world. And it's just, for me, like I'm actually, uh, naturally, I'm, no one believes this, but I'm actually an introvert. And so <laughs> like to just be plopped into a world, I'm like, oh God, like, where am I? Like, oh God, like there's, there's a character talking to me right now or there's like other other virtual people like other people in their virtual worlds like they're talking to me and I'm like I don't like this at all so my big rule of thumb is have people start in their own little private room like Hmm. when you wake up in your day you're in your private room it's comfortable there's no one coming at you there's none of the exterior world coming at you and you have time to like look at yourself in a mirror and get dressed and present yourself before you enter that world. And so when I created that be interior home, it was the same thing. It's like you you wake up, you look at yourself in the mirror. You're like, oh, I'm a bee. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Like this is who I am, I guess, right? And then you kind of like you kind of hang out in there. There's like things to play with in there. Um, you can just kind of toss things around. And then when you're ready, you can exit that room and enter the greater story. So it's a nice little introduction into the world. Like the you're doing world building basically, but through a smaller space to then introduce exactly. a larger world. Exactly. So it's kind of understanding just human psyche of like what is comfortable for us to experience and what is like super uncomfortable for us um, when we create these VR spaces. Yeah. Are there things you stay away from on purpose when you're when you're creating a space in VR? Like other things that you find work better or, or too overwhelming for people? Yeah, definitely. Um, so rule number one is don't get people sick. So it's like, don't, don't do, don't make their heads turn without their consent. That's always something that is, was, was always kind of weird to me that sometimes um, some developers will have, 
they will make you look a certain way. They will physically make your screen turn a different way. I'm like, oh no, like I gotta get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> they know that's weird. Um, there's some people who experimented like maybe like drawing with eyesight in VR. And hmm. that's not cool. Like our eyes are used to observing and in intaking information and not like not like taking action. <laughs> right. You don't have paint usually shooting out of your eyes as you're walking down the street. <laughs> yeah. You're not used to your eyes being like the the action, a part of your body. You know what I mean? And so, unless you're a Cyclops, that's a different thing. I would like to try that if there's like a X Men Cyclops thing. Mm, I think Disney could probably make that happen with you. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Um, and in terms of just kind of best practices of like world building design, usually helping like creating a ground is very helpful for people. So not having just straight black ground um, of nothing. Uh, a lot of people get really freaked out once they go into VR. So that's very helpful. Um, I like to make sure people have a lot of space from where, wherever they're starting in the experience. So um, both in real life and also in the VR space. So um, I provide a good amount, like maybe 10 by 10 amount of space in real life. And then in VR itself, I just don't have any objects right in front of their face when they start off. Um, these are just kind of like, uh, I don't know things I've learned along the way. <laughs> yeah, well, like you said, it's an ever-changing world that's relatively new to people. So who knows what we'll say three years from now, even? Yeah, that's know. true. Mm -hmm. Are you working on projects right now? Like, is what's next in in your pipeline of things to do? Uh, I, right now, I'm kind of twiddling a little bit with uh, Spark AR, which is the um, like when you go on the Instagram and there's like the filters that mm -hmm. people create. Uh, I'm learning how to do some of those filters just to understand how those mechanics work. It's pretty fun. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I'm also working on some personal, like self-compassion pieces. Uh, I had some tough stuff in the last year, so I'm just trying to like explore my own personal voice in the VR space, which has been a while. I think the last three years have mostly been um, projects and client work, and I really want to kind of reground myself in like my own personal voice. Yeah, it's interesting working in this kind of medium. I feel like because it's so new and, and so interesting to a lot of people, especially tech companies, mm -hmm. they often want to hire you to do this work over and over again. And you can kind of get out of control sometimes, right? It's just yeah. constantly doing work. It's great. But when do you say yeah. no to a project, you know? It's hard. Uh, I think it's very hard. And that's actually something I struggled with last year because there, there comes a point, you know, as artists, we always have the question like, like, is this what I want? Like, is this what my art's about? Am I going to be doing this for the rest of my life? You know, or like, like where, where does the, the getting paid versus the self-expression part lie? You know, like there's a balance of that. Right. And yeah. so I think what's important is like just really understanding for all artists is like understanding, like, you know, like what is, what is like, where do you fit in the greater scheme of life? And like, how does that, how does that express itself in your work? I think that will always be an integral part of being an artist. Um, and without that reflection, I think it's easy to get stuck in a hole where you're like, I, I don't know how I got here. Like, I don't feel connected to my work anymore. Um, you know, I don't feel like I'm very creative anymore. It's easy to like lose sight of that, that inner creative voice of yours. Yeah, especially because people see something of yours and they want to reproduce that over and over again in a way. So how do you yeah. have time to grow and change as an artist yourself? You know, that's exactly. a, something I'm always dealing with too, you know? Yeah, I think everybody, like we're all struggling with it, right? You know, like I know people who are top artists at Disney and they're working their butts off, but they still have to create 
time for personal work, right? Um, in order to maintain that. Yeah. That's when you need that time at the cafe with your headset on <laughs> for yourself. <laughs> Spilling coffee everywhere, just like just sculpting. Oh my I know. And then that was a meme. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. I can't wait for you to become a meme. Uh, I'll, I will retweet that meme for sure. Um, Estella, before we go, we have a tradition on State of the Art of doing rapid fire questions. Uh, okay. These are questions that don't, you know, don't think about, don't think about them too much. Uh, just the first thing that pops into your mind. Uh, what was your first job that you ever had? Uh, filing clerk at a law firm. <laughs> and you don't want to recreate <laughs> like that experience in VR? That's not something you want to explore? Oh, you can download, um, um, was it, uh, was it called VR accountant? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? That's a VR accountant simulator? Yeah, you should try it. I recommend it. VR accountant is fun. Just what I've always wanted to do is become an accountant <laughs> yes. in virtual reality. Yeah, like, I, I don't want to go like swimming with sharks. <laughs> I just want to file some papers. <laughs> Look, honestly, I think you should try a game. Like, you'll be surprised. Just uh, FYI, listeners. All right. Maybe I'll change my career. Um, <laughs> what animal would you want to be if you could be any animal? Uh, triceratops. <laughs> that came very quick. Why? Yeah, Why I already triceratops? Know, I, already know, I already know. I already know. That's what I want. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what's your favorite snack food since we uh, met eating snacks in a kitchen? Oh, that's a great question. So there's this um, Japanese chip that is a yellow bag. And there's a potato man on it. And it's the seaweed, it's like the salted seaweed potato chip. And it's so good. And it's very subtle, but it's very addictive. And I can eat bags of that for for days. So just look out for the potato man is what you're saying. Potato man. Yeah. <laughs> I can provide an image if that helps. If you want to use for like... I don't know if we main... want to use that image for you for all your work. But um, if you're into that, we could. Oh, maybe I should paint him in VR. <gasps> oh. The if you paint man. that guy, let me know. We'll definitely put that up. If you want to paint the potato man, that would be amazing. <laughs> then we reach out to the the manufacturers and I get sponsored and I get a lifetime supply of potato man chips. If this happens, please send me a bag of potato man chips because <laughs> I need to try them. Um, Estella, where do we find your work online? Uh, you can go to my website, estellachaya.com, estellatse.com. Um, I'm also uh, on on the social medias uh, with my handle, so at estellatse. Uh, and yeah, that's how you find me. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Gabe. I had so much fun. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of State of the Art. You can follow us at State of the Art on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, this is Gabe BC. I'm your host. You can find me at Gabe BC on pretty much every social media network. State of the Art is created by Ethan Appleby. It's an at art production. Weston Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire. And Vanessa Wilson is a producer who I constantly am sending emojis to just to frustrate her throughout the course of her week. Uh, next week, we have another great guest. So stay tuned. <laughs>